You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. So turn to Zechariah chapter 7. And this passage is, is a warning about not taking advantage of people. And today, and as we are talking about church history still, we're going to talk about this time period where the church took advantage of people. And this passage says, of course, do not do that. So, if you're there, raise your hand. Anybody there? Oh, look at all of the hands. Awesome. So Zechariah 7 says this, starting in verse 8. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah. And this is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer to true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And then this is their response. But they refused to pay attention. They stubbornly, they turned their backs. They covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words of the Lord Almighty sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was angry. So this morning, let's pray. God, we do pray to you in reading this passage about um, taking advantage of people and not listening to the Lord. God, we want to listen to you. We want to uh, obey you, and we want to live holy lives before you. Would you convict us first, Lord, before we point our fingers at anyone else? Lord, convict us of what we're doing, patterns we're in, sin that we're in. Lord, convict us with your Holy Spirit. We want to serve you. We want to become holy. We want to become forgiven under you and your ways. So we worship you and we praise you. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. So let me tell you a story and then we'll do some announcements, talk about the breakfast and all that stuff. So I'll tell you a story about how I, as a kid, took advantage of other kids and um has to do with this so here's a picture of a paper airplane um here's some things i used to make things out of paper and then sell them to like the younger kids in elementary school for like their lunch money and it's looking back i was like i really did that like i just folded some paper and sold it to kids so i I would make things like this do you remember these things anybody can you see this the uh the giant what is it called chinese fortune teller or something like that anyway so i'd make these and be like you really need one of these. And it's like, oh, all I have is my lunch money. Well, I'll just take half of your lunch money. Um, so you need one of these. Buy it. Or I'd sell these. These were a hot selling item back in elementary school. It's a, it's a popper. And so if you hold it right, maybe I can do it. It'll pop. <laughs> hold on. Okay, that's it. That's all I got. I think in elementary I made it differently or something because I remember it being really loud and I would sell it to kids and they would buy it. And I, I don't know what's wrong with kids, but they would just be like, oh yeah, I'll pay a dollar for that. And it's like, a, it's a folded piece of paper, but they would. And I put like, sometimes I put like glow in the dark glue on it and like the little design, be like, ooh, look, it's got glow in the dark. I'd be like, oh, I'll pay $5 for that. Sweet. Um, but there was these kids, like I look back and I think, man, I really took advantage of some kids because there was some kids... And I, I knew where they lived because their bus stop, they, dro- they got dropped off before me. They, it was probably like six kids, and they lived in a tiny little house, like a, a mobile home trailer. And it was probably like 400 square feet. Six people, six kids lived there and a mom and a dad. And it was just a really like run down. There was like tires on the roof holding down the roof in case the wind came. And these kids like only had one change of clothes. Like we, I never saw them outside of their clothes that they were wearing. Like they always had the same thing on. They never showered. They just smelled. Um, they, um, 
I met, they didn't have backpacks. They had like a trash bag backpack. So like um, they'd have like a plastic, like a paper bag inside of a plastic bag. And that was their backpack. Just really poor down and out kids. The dad, they didn't have a car. So the dad would always be like, uh, like thumbing a ride. And sometimes my dad would give him a ride. Um, just really like down and out uh, poor kids that went to my school. And they, every day they had lunch money, and me, being the entrepreneur that I was, um, would take advantage of these kids. Like, and and I, would, I knew, maybe as a kid, like I was a good salesman, um, and so I'd use my salesmanship skills, and I knew that like, I was almost like selling them self-esteem. Like, you know what you need? You need one of these. Uh, it'll impress your friends, and it'll impress your team. Everyone will love you if you purchase one of these. You'll be a hero for the day if you buy this. And they'd be like, oh, here, here's my lunch money for the day for a stupid little paper-folded thing. And so anyways, I, I remember that as a kid. And I think there's something in all of us to take advantage of people when we can, especially like people that are willingly wanting to be taken advantage of. You're just like, oh, well, they, they want this paper product thing and they want to give me their lunch money, so I'll take it and, and happy day for everybody. But it's really, it's not cool, right? <clears throat> so today we're going to talk about how the church uh, in the Middle Ages took advantage of people and I really don't want this lesson to just be us pointing our fingers at this Middle Ages church and be like, oh, they had it all wrong. They took advantage of people. Well, what about us? Like, is the Lord convicting us in different areas of our life? How do we take advantage of people? Because we're all guilty of that. So that's a quick story for you. But officially, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If this is your first time to Sunday School, you came on a good Sunday. We're having hot breakfast. Um, if you're new, there's, uh, there should be some of these cards. I think most of the tables have these cards. You can fill it out with as much or as little information as you want. Give it to the nice people as you leave, and they'll give you a gift just for coming. If you want a phone call, I will call you. Check that little box. If you want to email, I'll email you kind of the heart behind Sunday School, so do that. And finally, the hot breakfast. Uh, we're kind of just doing it for fun. Our leaders, Aaron Higgins, uh, Nate Samuel, they, they just like thought it would be really fun to do a hot breakfast, so they, they got here at 6, and they made a hot breakfast for us, and I think they're still in the kitchen right now. Oh, no, there they are in the back. So they're really cool dudes. So well done, guys. Really good. And the whole team, there was like, I got here at 8, and there was like 20 people already had been here since 6, so that was pretty cool. But anyways, the hot breakfast, if you want to give donations, uh, all the donations, uh, it's kind of a fundraiser. Uh, We're going on a trip. The Foley's, uh, who some of you know, are leading a trip to Haiti. Some of us Sunday schoolers are going to Haiti this uh, spring as kind of a medical mission trip. There's a mission side of it, and there's a medical side of it. So if you want to give, there's the offering box on the table back there next to the eggs. And if you want to give via credit cards, because I know you cool hip kids don't carry cash. There's credit card slips on your table. You could fill it out. Uh, a few bucks would go a long ways towards this trip. So anyways, that's that. And you're welcome for the hot breakfast. I didn't have too much to do with it, so I can't be thanked. The team, you guys are awesome. So finally, some more fun announcements. We have stickers, Sunday school stickers. They're really cool. I put one on my laptop. How cool is that? See that? Ooh. Anyways, if you want a sticker, they're in the back. Uh, I think the back table as you leave, you could get a sticker, stick it on something cool, take a picture of it, hashtag Instagram, Facebook, DVD, HD, Bluetooth, Blu-ray, put it on the internet and whatever you kids do. Anyways, 
One more fun announcement. This really doesn't have anything to do with anything other than it'd be cool to all hang out together and have fun and go camping. There's something, if you don't know about this, it's really weird and random. But when a Chick-fil-A opens, there's a Chick-fil-A opening in Denver. Uh, If you go to this Chick-fil-A and camp out like 24 hours before the the store opens, then uh, A, you get to camp and they feed you. And B, they give you like 52 coupons for like free meals, which is like a $350 value. So it combines two of the things I really they love camping and free stuff. So uh, if you're into camping and free stuff, uh, there's a group of us. It's not really like a Sunday school trip, but just more of let's go hang out and go camping. So if you're interested, email me. I could send you more information. Uh, go online and learn about uh, a Chick-fil-A opening. Anyways, those are lots of announcements this morning while you're eating. So let's get right on to the lesson, the important stuff for today. We are in a church history lesson. In March, we are talking about the Reformation the reformation of the church. And if you want an assignment, if you want the nerd alert, here it is. We have a textbook. Get this textbook if you don't have it. It's a great book, Church History in Plain Language, chapters 23, 24, about the pre-reformers. So if you're super nerdy, that's what uh, assignment we're kind of on now. So here we are. Let's talk about this moment of pre-Reformation history. Let's talk about Europe at the time of, around the time of the Reformation. Here's a map, kind of a hand-drawn map of what was going on at the time. And many of the countries we now know were beginning to form. Nationalism was beginning to form. France, what is today, Germany, the Holy Roman Empire, uh, Spain, England, all these countries were becoming, um, instead of just being like little city-states, they were developing into larger Nations, And this brought a lot of stability to the people. Like when people aren't, like when we and Pueblo aren't fighting all the time, which we're not, we have more time to do other things. Like whereas if we and Colorado Springs and Pueblo were fighting, then it's like most of our time would be spent fighting. Uh, so as the countries get bigger nationalism, there's more time for things like doing your homework and thinking and um, poetry, art, the Renaissance that we'll talk about. And as far as church goes, this, if you don't, if you don't get this, then a lot of this message won't make any sense to you. But in the Middle Ages, there was only one church. And a couple times ago, we talked about the break between the East and West. And so technically, there would be two churches, the Holy Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church, which some of us went on a field trip last night to the Eastern Orthodox Church, and it was cool. But before 1500s, there was no Protestant denominations. So here's kind of a really horribly drawn chart that I kind of copied and pasted um, from the interwebs. Um, but before the 1500s, there's really in the Western world, in Western Europe, there's the, only the Catholic Church. So you might say like, well, what were the New Lifers doing back in the 1500s? It's like, no, there was no New Lifer. New Life is like 1985 is when we started. But you're like, well, okay, well, what about the evangelicals? And it's like, no, no evangelicals in the Middle Ages, in the 1500s. They would be much, much later. Evangelicalism is probably 100 years old as we know it now. Um, and you're like, okay, well, what about the Presbyterians? They're like old as dirt, right? It's like, no, actually, at the, at the 1500s, There was no other denomination in Western Europe. It was just the Catholics 
that no Baptists, no Methodists, no Presbyterians, no charismatic denominations. It was just the Catholic Church. And then in the 1500s, we will have this Protestant Reformation, and from that will spurn all these denominations, like the Anglicans, the Reformed, the Presbyterians, Anabaptists, Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, and, and many more, as there is today. And so think about that for just a second. There was no denominations back in the 1500s. And what it was like going to church would be going to a little church in your city. I guess if you lived in a bigger city like uh, Paris, you could go to a bigger uh, church like Notre Dame is, is in Paris. But if you were in a smaller city, you went to a small little church. There was a priest. The entire service in the 1500s was in what language? Latin. I was impressed most of you knew that. So if you're in England, what language do you speak in the 1500s? American, yeah. And so, so is your service in English? No, it's not. It's in Latin. Do you speak Latin? Probably not, unless you're highly educated. It was a, it was a second language that was kind of dead as far as a language of the people in the 1500s. So you'd go into church. The whole church service would be in Latin. You probably didn't understand too much. Uh, very superstitious about things and saints and icons. Very superstitious about um, uh, like the Eucharist. Like the priest says, hoc es corpus meum. And that, uh, Adam Molesky a couple weeks ago said, that's how we get the word hocus pocus. Because in Latin, hoc es corpus meum is... Uh, for this is my body in Latin. And people just said, oh, it's like a hocus pocus. The priest breaks the bread, becomes Jesus' body. And then you could come forward and you could eat Christ's body. Or if you're really superstitious, you could like take it home. And it's like, oh, if this is really Christ, then I'm going to bring it home and I'm going to put it um, in my house and it's going to bless my house. So lots of superstition in the Middle Ages, lots of not understanding what was going on. Uh, hardly anyone was an atheist, and I say hardly anyone. I don't know that maybe there's just a couple primary sources of people in the Middle Ages that were actually atheists. Very few people, even if they were an atheist, weren't talking about it. If you were an atheist, the punishment for being an atheist was death. It's like, okay, I guess I won't be an atheist. Um, if death is on the line. I put a, a, a quote. A, we always do a quote on the back of our notes. It says it's a sweet quote. This isn't, I guess, so much of a sweet quote as kind of an important quote by uh, Isabella of Castile. And that's the same Isabella as Ferdinand and Isabella, same Isabella that sent Columbus on his way. Um, she says this about the clergy and about the monks and nuns at the time. It's not that sweet of a quote. The dissolution is such that when the souls entrusted to the clergy receive great damage, for we are told that the majority of the clergy are living in open concubinage. You know what that is? Ask your mom. (laughs) And that our justice, so when we intervene, so when justice intervenes in order to punish them for this shamakery, they revolt and create a scandal and they despise our justice to the point that they even harm themselves against it. So it's like the clergy... The priests, the monks and nuns, they're not being the most holy of people at this time. They were taking advantage. Um, and one more thing that we need to talk about before the Reformation is something huge that changes the world, changes the church. And so a discussion question that I'm going to give you in just a second is, how should we as the church be open to secular and religious change when it comes to change? But that's for a second from now. So the printing press changed the world. Um, the guy who invented the printing press, do you remember, know his name? Starts with a G, ends with a Berg, Gutenberg. Um, he invented the printing press in uh, 1450. I think that's, yeah, 1450-ish. And he changed the world. Like, Gutenberg is always on, like, 
people's lists of like who's the top most influential person who has ever lived. Top five people. Gutenberg is usually one or two or three. Um, changed the world. And he wasn't a scholar, wasn't a, a king, wasn't a politician. He was a guy tinkering around in his garage, basically. He was a gold medalist, um, like worked in, in gold and, and, and uh, making gold shapes and things. And he was tinkering around and said, hey, instead of hand copying this pamphlet 10,000 times, why don't we make a stamp, basically, and stamp the image onto the piece of paper? Wouldn't that be a lot faster? Yeah, a lot faster than handwriting an entire piece of paper. Um, And so he invents the printing press, and it just changes the world as we know it. Information can spread quick. The Bible can be printed very quickly instead of handwriting the Bible. You could print the Bible very quickly, comparably, and it just changed the world. It's, it's hard for me to believe that the printing press wasn't invented before this time because, like, I'm a tinkerer. Like, I like building things and, like, kind of like cheating the system. It's like if someone said, Joe, you need to copy this pamphlet by hand 10,000 times, I would probably think of a way to, like, cheat the system. It's like, well, I'm not going to hand copy. I'm going to figure out some way to do this. Um, differently. Uh, And so it's hard for me to believe that the printing press was not invented before this time, but what do I know? I wasn't there. Um, So printing press was invented, changes everything. So here's a quick discussion question for you. Um, For you at your table, if you're at a small table, jump right into a bigger table. So here's the quick question. In your humble opinion, that's what that stands for, um, how should we as the church respond to change in the church. So as Christians, and this could be secular or religious change, like things are always changing. We are living in, like, talk about the printing press changing everything. The internet changes everything, and there's always new and fresh things happening. How should we as Christians respond to change in the church? Ready? Get set. Discuss. I would love to hear a few responses from some of you. Bay, thank you. You came to me. That's so nice of you. Well, okay. So I went around to three tables asking for ideas, and all three tables I went said, "Burn them at the stake." If there's change, yeah. <laughs> what tables are these? <laughs> oh, the same table. Hopefully, they're kidding. Um, who else? You don't have to come. I will come to you if you want. You got something? You want to? Okay. Oh, for modern day, it's. We have the printed scripture, so if any change is taking place, we need to get back into the scripture to make sure that it like follows a radical change or the just... word of God. Because Good. I know today there's a lot of false teachings out there, and I mean, we're warned about false teachings and what to look for. So yeah, so make it make sure a change con- conforms with scripture. Yes, Miss Crow. They um, in the olden days, like when if you weren't like Christian or if you were like atheist or something, they uh-huh. would like kick you up, like, oh no, you can't. Yeah, they kick you out or here. kill you, apparently. But I think, like, now, because it's stuff has changed, like, we should be, like, the church now is, like, more open to be, yeah. like, doesn't matter what religion you are, you're still welcome in the church. Yeah. So change maybe being good, we're not, we're not killing people over being heretics. Anybody else? Okay, well, the next idea... I want to talk about is um, the pre-reformers. So these are people that come right before um, and, and are the main reformer who will change everything. We will talk about him next week. His name starts with an L. Anybody know his last name? Luther, yes. And so many of you know that portion of history. These are people that came before Luther and will influence Luther. Luther, 
These are the pre-reformers. I'm going to talk about two of them very briefly. The first is John Wycliffe, not to be confused with the, the rapper, is his name Wycliffe Jean? John Wycliffe? The guy from Haiti that uh, rewrote Killing Me Softly? Anybody? No? <laughs> Good. Anyway, this isn't that guy is the point. Um, this is John Wycliffe, lived in the 1300s in England, and he was living in a time in England, and what language did they speak in England? American, right? Um, and church services were going on in Latin. So Wycliffe had this crazy idea. He said, why don't we have church services in English, the language of the people? And he's the first person to uh, translate the Bible into English. And so if you ever talk to a, a big King James fan and they're like, King James is the first version. Actually, this version beats the King James by like 300, 200 years. So, but it's, it's like an old English, so it's a it's, a lot harder to read. Um, John Wycliffe, um, he wasn't, um, for, for whatever reason, he outlived his heretical nature. He didn't, be, I guess, become a big enough deal at the time. But uh, when he died, and he died natural causes, he actually died in church speaking, like he had a stroke. And so that's maybe the way I'll go out someday. I'll just be you know, speaking, and then I'll die. I'll be, you know, I'll be sad. And it's like, no, that's the way he wanted to go. He said that one time. Remember that one time? <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> Um, that'd be very tragic for all of us to experience. Uh, anyways, he died naturally. And then about 100 years after his movement kind of gets bigger um, and people are like, yeah, let's do services in English. Uh, the Catholic Church comes and they dig up his bones and they burn them and then they throw them into uh, the river, a very dishonorable way of dying, cremation in the Catholic Church and being thrown in the river, trying to dishonor what John Wycliffe started. And someone very influenced by John Wycliffe uh, is this next guy, as well as Martin Luther. Martin Luther in his own journal says, Wycliffe uh, was a huge influence on him. Um, also influenced by Wycliffe is this guy named John Huss. And he was living in, what is today, Czechoslovakia. And he had this crazy idea in the 1300s, uh, right at the beginning of the 1400s, this crazy idea that church authority should rest solely on the Bible. Crazy, I know, right? And we as Protestants were all like, these guys are kind of our heroes, but these guys were radical for their time, and there was only one church at the time, and going against that church usually meant death. And John Huss, he did die at the stake. He was burnt at the cross because he said things like, uh, the Bible alone should be our authority. He wrote a book called The Church, in which it, he attacks Rome for, their, uh, for the, the, the way church is organized and the Pope. He says the Pope isn't infallible. Um, and the Pope is fallible. And he says things like uh, the priests, the way they live their lives, uh, and some of them had horrible scandals, they are d- like d- d- making the sacraments of no worth. And so slams to the Catholic Church by John Huss. And so they bring him before the, the um, church authority. They say, will you recant of these ideas? And he says, no, not unless you show me by the context of Scripture that I am wrong, which is something Luther will say. We'll talk about that next week or the week after. And he, he refuses to recant. He says, we're going to burn you at the stake. And he says, I won't recant. They put a hat on him, a little paper hat that says heretic. They tie him and chain his neck to a stake. They pile wood and hay up to his neck. They ask him one more time. It says, um, what I put? One of the, um, like a, a secular official comes and, and begs him to recant one more time before they light the fire. He refuses. 
He says, Lord, have mercy on us. He prays over the people killing him and, and says, Lord, forgive them like Jesus did. And then they light the fire and he dies being burnt alive. Pretty brutal. And, and why? Well, because he thought the Bible alone should stand as authority, not the church. And so things like, where's the Pope come from? We should question that. Huge at the time and, and, and heretical at the time. So much so that he was killed. So those are the pre-reformers that lead us into this very change-filled time of church history, the Reformation. And if you say it slowly, you kind of realize, oh, it's the reformation of the Catholic Church by the protesters. And we as Protestants, that's where our name comes from. If you didn't know that, you're like, why are we always fighting amongst yourselves and stuff? Well, our very name is the protester. That's what we do. Uh, And sometimes we do it too good. Um, (laughs) But we protest and we reformed the Catholic Church. And then out of this reform will come all the denominations that we now think of when we think of like, oh, the Anglicans and the Baptists and our friends, the uh, Presbyterians and our friends, the Methodists and Lutherans. All of these branches of denominations will come from this one movement of the Reformation in the 1500s. So let's start. And I want to start the Reformation with this question of, like, when you see something really expensive, many of you's first reaction is not, oh, that's really cool, or that's, pretty, that's really pretty. How many of you's first reaction to, like, maybe a new car, or someone buys, like, a new awesome house or something, and you're like, um, your first response is, who paid for this? Where'd you get the money for that? Anybody else's first? Maybe you're like, my, I, I'm kind of cheap, I, I like to save, and so if I see new stuff, I'm like, who paid for this? So... Who paid for this? Here's a picture. Uh, has anybody ever been here? Know what this is? Yep, it's the Vatican. How many people have been to Rome? Anybody? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-ish people. Really cool. So if you go to Rome, you go to the Vatican, you have to see this. This is St. Peter's Cathedral, seen from like the top looking down. This huge area and space designed by a guy named Bernini. Who paid for that? Look at how nice that is. That's nice. Who paid for that? Who paid for this? Same building, different view. So this is of the dome. Michelangelo executed the dome. Yes, Michelangelo, the Ninja Turtle. Um, he, he, I mean, who, how, how much does Michelangelo cost? How much would this dome cost? This is beautiful. Uh, here's the inside of this building. Um, Bernini's, uh, once again, he designed this um, like altar area. And look how big it is. Like those things down at the bottom look like little red ants. Those are people. So that's how big this space is. Who paid for all this? What about this? Uh, This is Michelangelo's ceiling in the Sistine Chapel. On the right-hand side is Adam and God, that famous painting with our hands, uh, our fingers almost touch. Who paid for that? Who paid for this other guy named Raphael, the other Ninja Turtle, to paint uh, School of Athens inside the Vatican? Uh, 1509 is when he painted this. Who paid for all this uh, awesome, and we look at it, uh, I know if you've ever been to Rome, you look at it and you're grateful for all the beauty and awesome uh, artwork that has been put into uh, all this, these structures, these paintings, these domes, these cathedrals. It's, it's pretty breathtaking. But who paid for all that? Well, if you know a little bit about church history, you probably know that people like you and like me, living in the Middle Ages, common people, paid for it by buying something called indulgences. And these, this is like, <clears throat> this goes back to like the, the, one of the worst shamacheries the church has ever done, in my humble opinion. Um, and, and once again, we're not 
in, in a way that we're pointing at the, at the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages and saying, look what they did, they're idiots. Well, isn't there something in all of us to be an idiot and to take advantage of people uh, and to use the God card? Maybe many of us are guilty of using the God card to, you know, to get your way, using the God card to break up with someone, using the God card. You, you've all done it. Or maybe not that specific, but you've t- you, we, we take advantage of people. We're sinners. That's what we do. And we're redeemed by God, and we need to constantly change and be conformed to his will. Um, so anyways, the church at the time sold something called indulgences. If that's a new word to you, let me explain what exactly it is. This picture should summarize. <laughs> this is a get-out-of-jail-free card, Monopoly, but... And so you can buy and sell one of these. If you get one of these, you could sell it to your other people playing Monopoly. And if you go to jail, you can get out of jail free if you have this card. But in this case, an indulgence isn't necessarily a get out of jail. It's more of a get out of purgatory free card. And the Catholic Church uh, still to this day believes in uh, after you die, you go to a purgatory where your sins are purged. This idea that, that you, you, you need some more purging of your sin. Um, and, and we, uh, I think as Protestants, would usually say... Um, that's, you know, there's an idea that Christ saved us of all sin. There's no need to purge ourselves of sin after we die. Christ did that. So that's another theological matter. That's probably for another lesson. But basically the church was selling these get out of purgatory free cards. And they weren't free. They were quite expensive. I mean, how much, if this really worked, um, and the Catholic church was the only church at the time, and you did not have a Bible because the Bible's were very expensive. Even post-printing press, you probably did not own a Bible. And even, even if you did own a Bible, it was probably in Latin. Could you read Latin? No. You read American. You speak American. You, don't have, you have the ability to have a Bible, much less read a Bible if you could get to a Bible. And so the church authority is saying, buy these indulgences, and it is like a get-out-of-purgatory-free card. And so you would buy them. Um, I would buy them. You would. And it was just a part of what people did because that's what people did in the Middle Ages. They were scared. They were scared of purgatory. They knew the church had authority. And so people like this guy, uh, John Tetzel, um, if you ever see someone on TV, like a TV evangelist who makes you mad by saying things like, send me your money, send me your money, send me your money. Well, this guy takes the cake. He's the leader of shamakery business of taking people's money, at least in the area of Germany where Luther was. And we'll talk about Luther. If you don't know who Luther is, we'll talk about him next time. But this guy sells indulgences like nobody else. Like imagine like a really good used car salesman, a high pressure sales, uh, selling like nobody else, saying little poems like every time a coin in the coffer rings. So every time you give a coin and it goes to St. Peter's uh, and, the, and the Pope and the church, every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. How nice. I, all right, I'll buy one of those. Get my grandma out of purgatory. Get myself out of purgatory in the future. Things were being sold, a plenary indulgence, so that if you commit a sin, you could go spend some money and get an indulgence for that sin. That's, you know, whatever sin you committed, you go buy an indulgence and then you can cover that sin. Or you could buy a plenary indulgence, which covers all your sins, uh, past and future. So if you want to go out and like do something crazy, go get one of these indulgences and then every day is like a party, Mardi Gras, whatever you want to do, party it up because you have the indulgence. Sounds too good to be true. I have a video clip from a movie. It's, I think this movie is almost 10 years old. It's like a minute and a half video clip uh, of the movie Luther. Anybody seen that movie? 
Uh, yeah, nerds. Yes, only nerds would be excited about that movie. Um, so this clip will make you mad. If, if it doesn't make you mad, I don't know what you're thinking. But this is John Tetzel, uh, a video clip of uh, an actor portraying, portraying John Tetzel selling indulgences to the people of Wittenberg, which is where Martin Luther's from, which will lead him to write the 95 Theses against the indulgences. So anyways, this scene will probably make you mad because you could see it. You could see him taking advantage of people who believe. And so without further ado, here you go. Good people of Uteberg. Have you ever burned your hand in the fire? Even one finger made raw by the flame will torment you throughout the night. Is it not so? Imagine then. Your entire body burning. Not for one sleepless night. Not for a week. But for all eternity. Are we to be spared the fires of damnation on the judgment day? Tonight, your Pope, the Vicar of Christ, sends you a gift. A gift to save you from such fires. A special indulgence granted for the building of St. Peter's Church in Rome. Where the bones of the apostles lie mouldering, exposed to wind and rain, desecrated by wild animals. Take heed the words of your Holy Father who says, Lay a stone for St. Peter's And you lay the foundation for your own salvation and happiness in heaven. How? With this indulgence. When? Tonight. And only tonight. Seek the Lord while he is near. Here is your raft. Take hold. Is anybody else a little mad about that? Like, that really happened in history, in our history as Christians. That really happened. And um, it's a sham and a mockery. And I think, you know, we can point our fingers at the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. And by the way, the Catholic Church no longer sells indulgences. And they have repented and said, yes, that was wrong. That was a mistake. They course corrected. Um, But isn't there something in all of us? To, to do that, if we had the power to, to make money off of the disadvantage, isn't there something in all of us? And the way indulgences evolve, so I'll give you a very quick story of how they evolved. It seems like each step, isn't that correct? I mean, we think of like someone selling a piece of paper that says, get out of purgatory free card. Uh, that's ridiculous. How did that come about? Well, the steps to get there aren't that crazy. Uh, the, the Catholic Church believes in confession to a priest. Uh, they still do this today. There's confession boxes, for instance, if you go to a Catholic church. And they hold to the verse, uh, James uh, 5.16, that says, Confess your sins one to another. And for them, in their tradition, they would confess to a priest. And the priest can absolve you of your sins because Christ absolves you when you confess of your sins. 
kind of an interesting practice, kind of cool in some ways that it gets people talking about their sin. That's something we as Protestants, we don't usually like talking about our sin. We usually just say, oh, I'm going to keep it from everybody, hide it from the church. It'll just be being God. Well, the church is like a hospital. The church, you know, we can get healed with community and, and the church helps us with our own sin. And so it is wise and good to confess. So anyways, uh, in the Catholic church, you confess to a priest. And I grew up Catholic. I grew up Catholic in the city of Rome, New York. Do you think that's a very Catholic city? Yes, it's a very Catholic city. There's like Italian restaurants on every corner and a very Italian, very Catholic. So here's a little picture of me. There's me on the left, not the little girl on the right. Um, <clears throat> that's me on the left, a little boy, the priest. Uh, some of you in the news hear horror stories about horrible priests doing horrible things, but this priest was awesome, a man of God, and uh, he was my priest growing up as a kid. And I remember right around this time when this picture was taken, I did my first confession. So I go into this little room, I think not to scare the kids, they don't do the box thing. Um, so there's just a priest in a room, and I sat down with the priest, and, and we looked at each other, and he said, you know, what, what sins do you want to conv- confess? And you have this thing memorized, you're like, uh, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. This is my first confession. First confession. Uh, I have these things to confess. And I confessed as a kid, like I beat up my brother constantly. I don't listen to my mom, you know, all these kids' sins. And then the priest said, uh, your sins are forgiven. Um, go in peace. And um, for penance, you need to say some prayers. And in the Catholic Church, they're very big on Uh, memorized prayers like the Our Father and the Hail Mary. So he said, go say, I forget how many, it was maybe like 10 Our Fathers, 20 Hail Marys, go pray these prayers. And so I left the room and felt bad about my sin and and wanted to go before the Lord. And, And with penance, like this idea of Penance is like, if you're really sorry, then do something about it. Like, you know, like if, if you stole something from someone, well, apologizing will go so far. But if you're really sorry, then pay him back. You know, if you stole, then we'll repay what you did. Penance, an act of penance. So if you're really sorry, there's this act of penance. And so it's not that crazy to think, well, what if the penance in some situations could be an offering? And so if you're really sorry for the sins you made, well, then give an extra offering to the Lord. If you're really sorry, you know, maybe you stole something specifically from someone. It's like, well, go pay them back and go pay the Lord back for what you did. Pay penance for your sin. So that's not that crazy. Like, these are steps that I kind of see. Like, okay, the idea of paying money for, your, for, for penance as unto the Lord and offering. So that leads to this idea of, like, getting a piece of paper for the money that you would pay in penance. And so you can see how this would evolve into this kind of practice. This is a, a woodcut art, uh, like a stamp that was made in Germany in the, in the 1500s. Um, a piece of artwork. And this is on the left. You will see uh, someone buying, like there's coins there. They're buying an indulgence. There's people on the right who are on the horses. They're like the religious powers, maybe a bishop or something, looking on and getting that money. And the people come and, and pay money for their sins to be forgiven. And that, I mean, once you say it like that, you're like, man, that was a pretty bad practice. I see how they got there, but that was taking advantage of people. That was um, really bad. And so next week we'll talk about Martin Luther, his 95 theses. The first thesis is, when the Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he called the entire life of believers to be of one repentance. Like, just repent. And he goes on to say that these indulgences... 
They don't save you. It's the repentance that saves you. That's what the Bible says. And he will go on to reform the church and to protest the church in our denomination of New Life Church only comes because of the things Martin Luther started and that ball that got rolling and all the change that happened. So kind of in conclusion, um, I have one more discussion question for you. We'll end in like 10 minutes. So we have about 10 minutes more. And this is a discussion question um, for all of us. I think all of us can look at you know, if we're all Protestants in here, and if you're Catholic in here, you come from a Catholic background, we're not hating on you. In fact, I'm trying to, to, to give some confidence to the Catholic. Like, looking back, if, if you, um, you know, it's easy for us to point to the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages and say, oh, look how much wrong they did. But there's wrong that happens today in our church, in Sunday school. There are wrongs because we are all people. We've been forgiven, but we have sin inside of us. And so... Um, this discussion question, kind of a personal one, but I'm going on a limb here to call us all to kind of share or just, I don't know, talk a little bit more than an idea. So what reform do you want to see in your own life? What are you willing um, to, to want to see changed? Maybe you're on a direction, you're on a path, maybe something happened yesterday or this week and you're, I just want reform. To, I don't want to do that again. I want a reform to happen in my own life. So that's um, what I think the Lord is calling us to do this morning. So discuss that question, and then um, I have some final words to say. So get into groups. If you're already at a group at a table, small one, jump into a big one, and just try to chat and listen to what would you reform personally in your own life. Ready, Gazette? Discuss. Um, I think change, um, especially spiritual change, always is better from the inside out. When God works on us from the inside out, um, I think when we think through, like, what reform do we want to see in our own life? That's a much better question than um, Jesus put it this way, you know, pointing out the, the speck in someone else's eye while you have a big board or a plank in your own eye. Like, pointing out someone else's need for reform, that's not as cool as when you point out the need for reform in your own life. And kind of moving along the same direction to conclude today where we are headed in our church history series uh, Martin Luther, here's the, a famous painting of him nailing the 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg. And if you don't know what that is, come next week. We will explain that fully. Um, but he wants reform within the church. And what's interesting about Martin Luther is Martin Luther is not just some guy on the outside looking into the church. Um, and I think it's always kind of interesting when it's, it's always better when the church makes a decision to change and to reform from within rather than like some atheist in, the, in, in secular media pointing at the church and saying, look at these idiots, Here, here's another scandal, here's another sin, aren't they ever going to do anything? It's like, that's embarrassing. But when church change comes from within the church, it seems like that's, that's the way it should be. That's the Holy Spirit working and people conforming to what the Holy Spirit is saying. So Martin Luther, not just some random guy, Martin Luther is a Catholic, um, Augustinian Catholic monk and, and then a Catholic priest within Catholicism in the Middle Ages. So he wants to change and reform the church from within. So we'll talk about him next week. But this reflection, this bigger reflection that hopefully we're thinking about now with the discussion question of what do we need to reform? And I realize that that's not, that's probably one of the most awkward questions we can kind of ask in church. Like, so what sins are you dealing with? Is basically the gist of 
the question. Um, but we, I think as, as a church, as, a, as Christians, we need to talk about that more. We need to be okay with asking each other how we're doing with sin. We need to be okay with uh, repenting and confessing sin amongst the, ourselves as a church body and this striving for holiness. So let's pray to close. God, we do come before you as, as Christians, as, as sinners, as repenters, as people who know we have made many mistakes in our life. Uh, we've taken advantage of people. We've sinned. We've sinned with our minds, our words, our deeds. We've, we've come before you guilty. And Lord, we come before you guilty only to say, would you forgive us? Would you make us clean? Would you reform us from the inside out so that we can stand before you as pure, not because of our righteousness, but because of your righteousness inside of us. And so, so Lord, we leave here um, forgiven. We, we leave here thanking you that we've repented and we can leave here uh, with clean hearts, clean hands, because you have made us that way. So, Lord, we do love you and we praise you. You are everything to us. We love you. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.